Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Guys, we've got an exclusive Bear Grease discount code for FHF gear. That's Fish Hunt Fight Gear. I've been using their products for the last year, and I love carrying my gear in a chest rig or my binos in their bino harness. It's easier and more accessible than a backpack, and it doesn't get in the way when I'm riding my mule. For a limited time, you can head over to FHFgear.com forward slash Bear Grease And listeners to this here podcast get a discount on purchases for your FHF gear system. And you can see how I build my gear system. So go to FHFgear.com forward slash Bear Grease for a special code if you're buying stuff from FHF gear. Check it out. Fish Hunt Fight FHF gear. Say that again, then. I think we should make a podcast that's this Ronald <laughs> Render participants. Because so there's like, a growing number. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> is there is there strife on the team? Well, well not uh, that classic clueless leadership asks. <laughs> is there strife on the team? Well, is a fat dog heavy? We're barely hanging on. <laughs> I can't take Let's this just anymore. say there's been some meetings in private. Yeah. Oh, wow. I had yeah, to take a few weeks talking. off. Uh, play, players only meeting. Is, I had to take a few like, weeks off to recover. No, no, we're just forming a union. We've unionized. We've unionized. Hey, speaking... Welcome to the Bear Grease Render. 
speaking of the render, what did you guys think of the last render? When we got booted out without notice? What? That, 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 that time. <laughs> it stung a little. It stung a I little? I had taken okay. the whole week off. Hey, this is a safe place, okay? I had taken the so whole we week just, off to We be can on talk the about what's on a our hearts, week. okay? It's kind of like watching your kids go Dan, to family Christmas on. somewhere else. Yeah. And... Dan has a big <laughs> Hey, listen. I had I had some questions. very I had some very good feedback from uh from that one and then I had also some guys that were like never let those guys on there again. <laughs> Bring back the guys we love. And that was you guys. I, it was We really I, like those guys. Oh, I, they, I liked, they were great. I listened to a lot of it. It was nice of them to fill in. Yeah, I'll say that. Well, see, what people don't understand is that when you're in showbiz, you got to do what showbiz has to do. We had been hunting, and we had to make a render. And that, that was part of the plan from the beginning, is at different times, we would have a full new crew. Well, Like if I was somewhere in a camp, and I would just fill it in. So it was, it was super fun. I, I heard it, and five minutes into it, I thought, this is Clay's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Because clearly you had made them so uncomfortable that they... Hey, okay. <laughs> They're Listen, really nice, really nice they guys. They are the nicest We had guys. been pounding... That Clay had made really uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> we had been pounding the dirt for days. Days. And, uh, and we, we really were tired, but it was, uh, it was great. It was great. Mark and having all the guys on there was fun. I had a lot of people say they really liked it. But uh, it's great to have everybody back. Hey, let me do uh, let me let me do introductions. Josh Spillmaker, Josh Landbridge Spillmaker, to my left. Good to see you, Josh. It's good to be seen, honestly. Hey, we're gonna play some music later. Are you like, serious? Like real <laughs> live music, and you're a part of it. Okay, I'm in. Hey, we have one guest, and I'm gonna come back to him as is our as is our custom. To Josh's left, Dr. Daniel Roop. Hey, everybody. Hey, Dan Roop has been. Killing some deer. I have. Did you know that, Dad? Yeah, I've talked to him about it. He's, he's killed yeah. two deer Period. with his bow. In our side meetings, we've talked <laughs> yeah. about okay. several things. There's Clay. no rift between Dan and I. Nope. <laughs> Thick well, as thieves over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats on the deer. Thanks a ton. Yeah. So this is your first year bow hunting in a while, though. First year bow hunting probably 12 or 13 How years. many have you killed? Two. Really? Yeah. I knew about one yeah. of them. I didn't know about the other one. I got a, I got a little doe the other night, about four nights ago. Five you got nights. a secret hey, honey hole? I almost took a doe meat. out here driving up here tonight. Um, Really? Yeah. Doe meat's the best meat. It, we just, I know it's, it's in the freezer as of tonight. We just, this afternoon, we. Hey, it's a big deal to kill a deer with a bow. Man, I, I'm so thankful. It's been really fun. I've yeah. got a good friend of mine, gives me a little spot to hunt on and. Yeah. Just wonderful. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. That's Real awesome. good. It's, it's hard to find a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> to to Dan's left, <laughs> Gary Newcomb. Hey. Dad, it's been a while since you've it's been, been here. It's been a while. It, it's been probably four or five weeks. It has been. You know, there's been a couple of Gary Newcomb for president campaigns going on. Did yeah. you? Were you aware of this? No, I wasn't. You know, <laughs> I, I've applied for unemployment, but didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> so now you're gonna run for president? Now, <laughs> now go. For I'll president. put a sticker on my car. Have you done any hunting, Dad? None. None. You know, I've been shooting my bow. I got my equipment ready. I've got my scent lock ready to go. But when I get up in the morning, I think, why am I doing this, man? <laughs> and so you don't go, huh? 
You just stay home? Yeah, but I really have plans of, of killing a monster buck this year. Good. Did you Good. hear the shout-out that you got from Mark Kenyon? No. I mean... Oh, on the render. On the render, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I, so I, my dad, Gary Newcomb, and Mark Kenyon, who's Meat Eater's whitetail guru, his 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 podcast and what he does is is branded under Wired to Hunt, and he has one of the top whitetail podcasts in the country, if not the top whitetail podcast. So me and Mark always have this fun thing going where he is like a guru he's he's like a he's like a gear nerd and tactics i mean like his his mind is like a like a gearbox when it comes to all this stuff what mark wouldn't know is that my mind used to be that way and i was liberated <laughs> and my mind used to be that way because gary newcomb's mind is that way and so i grew up under the Whitetail Jedi Master, ultimate scent control, ultimate tree stand setup, ultimate gear guy, ultimate bow tinker. I mean, and Gary I Newcomb, have all that leftover stuff from twenty five years ago. Yeah, and then Dad gave a bunch of stuff to Josh. <laughs> Josh stole a lot of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I did I steal correct. that flashlight. I admit I stole the flashlight for six years, but I gave it back. You did give it back six years. Streamlight. So Dad used to be well, still is big time in the gear. And and Dad and I have talked about this privately, so we've worked through this, but that kind of impacted me into not really liking gear. Gear's like gear's like <laughs> gear is like a, a necessary evil. You're like the prodigal son. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I said all that to say Mark and Dad got along great. The son he never had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought a lot of Mark. <laughs> that whole crew was just extremely nice. I mean, I just enjoyed every one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Mark said he might get me a piece of gear. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooh. And he said, if I don't get it, to tell you. Okay. So, Mark, Call we need out. to tell Mark to get yeah. you some gear. Yeah. So, the way this the way this worked is we hunted down around where Dad lives for a film that you'll see one day through Meat Eater of Mark hunting public land down in the mountains so i didn't even tell mom and dad too many specifics about when we were going to be down in their hometown because we weren't going to have time to go see them so i didn't want them to think much about us being there hmm. so we go there dan hmm. and at like eight o'clock we were delayed it was like eight o'clock at night and we were about to have to go out in the woods and set up our full camp and, uh, and camp in the, dark. in the dark and then break it all down and go hike back in at daylight and so i said you know what i bet we could stay with juju and so i called my mom and i was like what are you doing juju <laughs> and she's like oh we're just you know getting ready for bed or whatever <laughs> she said you know i was like how would you feel about six of us coming and staying the night with you <laughs> right now in one hour <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she said uh the prodigal son returns she said, <laughs> what do you think kill the mom, fatted calf what would a southern mom say if that happened well, come on. Okay, well, she come said on, that, but, but she, she expressed some worries, too. Have y'all eaten? Yes. I don't have any food. I hadn't cooked, Clay. Stuff like that. And I was like, Juju, we're, we've already eaten. We're, we're full. We don't need any food. I don't have any food. Juju, we don't need any food. We're, we're not hungry. Don't. But I, I just don't have much food. Juju, <laughs> we don't need any food. <laughs> Did she have food when you got there anyway? <laughs> she had a little bit. She did. Yeah. She scratched so much. Did she talk about the house being a mess? 
All the house is okay, a mess. Okay, I, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, she's like, yep, she's like, the house is a mess, and the house was perfectly clean. And so we went over and stayed with mom and dad. It was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it was nice. We really enjoyed it. And then we stayed on the tail end of the trip, too, five days later. Yeah, yeah. We came back and stayed a night, and all the guys just loved mom and dad. They had a good time. Yeah. What's not to love? We actually recorded the render at their house. That's what I was going to say. Oh. Has Clay taken you to his parents' house, Dan? I have, I have <laughs> one time. Oh, really? You've been down there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Years ago. There. Well, I've been down there. I go down to see Gary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're buds. You friends yeah. with Mark Kenyon? Mark and I go way back. <laughs> I've never met him. <laughs> no. um, Mark's like the son I never had. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've got a, we've got a great podcast I'm very excited about this. We're we're going to talk about the third and final kind of Southwest themed podcast. So this podcast was not just about Warner Glenn. It was about the Borderlands Jaguar. We're gonna that's where we're going. So if you're new to the render, which there's a lot of people that might be new to this, we produce a documentary style podcast. I haven't introduced our guest. No. Goodness gracious. Or or the or Misty, the replaceable totally one, blue. you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got to finish what I was going to say, and then we'll come back. I'm so sorry. We'll come back to us. the The Bear Grease podcast is a documentary style podcast that we, you know, just put a ton of energy and effort into. The Bear Grease Render is this <laughs> informal gathering of people where we talk about less effort. We we talk, <laughs> we talk about the podcast. <laughs> so this is the Bear Grease Render you're listening to. Okay, to Gary's left, my lovely wife Misty Newcomb. Great Thank to be here. Thank you for being here. Always good to be here. Yeah. Always good to be here. here. Great. Okay, our mystery guest is my longtime friend. We go to church together. We're neighbors. Tyrell Dennison. Welcome, Ty. Hey, glad to be here. Man, this is a. Uh, I knew this day would come. That you would be on the render. Uh, it it, it it's nice to that. be here. I'm mm-hmm. glad to have, Ty to have has gotten been, the invite. Ty has been pretty instrumental in my world, career world. He really was. Ty was the one who, like seven years ago, did you know this, Josh? We were producing that Bear Horizon video for yeah. for Bear Hunting Magazine. Which, if people have not watched, they should go back and watch because it was Man, sure. I'm embarrassed with some of that stuff. Really? I love it. I still watch videos. There's from there. some really good content. Yeah. Well, so we were producing Bear Horizon videos, we, that's what we call it. I think in 2015 we started. I thought it was fantastic. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, some of it was good. Um, <laughs> and Better and, than a couple of renders I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> and so, listen, listen, Dan. Then we, we just had them on like Vimeo and like embedded them on our website. That's what I didn't you, even know what Vimeo was then. That's, that's what you did back in those yeah. days. But I mean, I didn't know what Vimeo was until you said, "Hey, you can watch these videos on oh, Vimeo." Oh, okay. Like, What's Vimeo? Yeah, it's just a way to implant right. a video on a on a web page. Right. Well, then Ty one day walked up to me and said, "Clay, you need to put your videos on YouTube." And I was like, "Nah." I mean, this was like 2015. This was like seven years ago. So I was like, "Man, YouTube is for like cell phone videos and low quality content." And Ty said, "Not anymore." He said, "He said this is the direction that the market's going. Oh, Ty. You got to put your stuff on YouTube." And he was adamant about it. And I did it. And within like a, a month, I had a viral video on YouTube. It was when that bear touched my arrow. Mm. And that video jump-started the Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube channel, which built it out. Anyway, so Ty Dennison has been 
influential. And Dang, Ty's Ty. always really good at giving me feedback. Well, and I barely understand YouTube. Like, I'm not someone who's like following YouTube. Like, the fact that people can just create content uh, on YouTube, like in their rooms, still like breaks my brain. I'm just like, I don't know how people make millions on YouTube. But I'd seen enough quality content in like my areas of interest where I knew like, oh, there's there's stuff here besides just guys with their yeah. with their webcam talking about what's been going on on the internet these days amongst the kiddos. It's just their, like there's actually some really video. nice stuff around here. Yeah. And so it's just like, man, it it it'll it'll get out there and people will share it for sure. And so and yeah. yeah, I was I was glad to hear that it took off because it was it was good stuff needed to get out there. It still is. Yeah, no, yeah. Nothing to be ashamed of on that YouTube channel. Well, I've learned inside of media is that you do stuff and then you go back and look at it and it's like a different version of who you are and you're kind of yeah. But no, there's there's some good, there's some real good bear hunts on there. Some good whitetail hunts too. Speaking of whitetail hunts, I have something I want to show you guys. Mm. <laughs> I have a little something to show you boys. Oh, oh, look at that! Look at that guy! Look at that sucker! That is a skull, a non-typical skull. This that uh, is a crazy really looking, unusual. So this. By the time this render comes out, I will have put this picture on YouTube. The YouTube on the YouTube on the on the Instagram. The YouTube for pictures. I, if this you will. deer was walking around about twenty six hours ago. I killed that deer in Oklahoma yesterday. This is the one you you were going after for days. No right? negative. Negative. There was a different one. Mm-hmm. That was a different buck. This this that was a this was the first time I hunted this property in Oklahoma. So let me tell you what we've been doing for the last seven days. Mark Kenyon, Spencer Newharth, Tony Peterson, and myself have been hunting. We're basically, Meat Eater is making a whitetail series that's going to come out like in two weeks. We're going to produce a bunch of episodes that document our hunts. And we were hunting in four different states. We actually hunted in, I think, six different states between the four of us. In the last week? In the last week. Wow. Yeah. I killed that deer on the last day of the hunt, man. Who can describe that rack to somebody? It's the one side is really clean and it just you know, has a typical five yeah, point side. Typical five point side. The other side looks like something out of a sci fi fantasy movie. Yeah. Well, Actually, really I don't know. Have, it doesn't a, Yeah, it doesn't really have a main beat. Let me, let me me, let's, do a, let's do a live out. measuring of that time. It's like you melted the bottom how long, two. How long is that spike? So basically it has one very clean, typical five-point side. The left side is just a, a spike of one, two, three, four, five, six points. And the the two bottom ones are, are like horizontal. Yeah. That main so beam from the base facing is two different directions. 14 and a half inches. 13 and a quarter inches. Nice. That, that's main 13 beam. and a quarter. Would that be the main beam? You know, it would be a judgment call. That would probably be. I would be. say it's the main beam. but Okay. And then this would be like the brow tine right here. We'll go from the burr. That's about 12 inches. So you're going to see pictures of this on Instagram. And on Instagram, it looks like a 140, 150-inch deer. It's it's not that big. It's a, One. This was a three-year-old deer. I don't even know what the was deer that was that a filter you used to make the deer look bigger? Or? It was just. How does that work out? It's just pictures Antler make meat. deer look about 20 inches bigger than they are. They just always do. But There's I was, a new app called Antler Me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, hey, that's a good-looking deer. I mean, uh, I was expecting it to be less than that. Really? Based on what you said. I'm, I'm very impressed with that animal. Man, yeah. it, it was a big, it was a big body deer, and oh, he came in. We had hunted seven days, and I never even saw a buck I would have shot. 
and seven wow. full days of hunting in good places. I hunted three and a half days in Arkansas, three and a half days in Southeast Oklahoma. And uh, I hunted with my friend Alvin Grigg, who he and, he and his wife, like a week ago, I got, they, he heard what I was trying to do and he said, hey, come hunt our place. Oh, that's awesome. Super yeah. generous. And that, I went down there and they rolled the red carpet out for me. And he hadn't hunted much out there, so he didn't really know the the you know he hadn't been out there much this year, and but he knew the good pinch points on this property, and um, and anyway, I killed that deer after three days, and we hadn't seen very many deer until this deer came in. But man, he marched in just like on a mission, and uh, shot him at about twenty two yards yesterday afternoon. Hit him far back, Dad. Uh, I told Alvin, I said, when I was a boy learning how to bow hunt. You'd have got a whooping for that. Well, you know what? I told I told him when we were young, you preached to us not to hit him in the shoulder. And to this day, I'm I'm over 40 years old. And I, if I hit a deer a little off, it's slightly back. I've, I've killed a lot of deer with a liver shot. And it's because I have deep and in, deeply ingrained into my default substructure of action is to aim far back from the shoulder, which produces a liver shot deer. Liver shot deer is no big deal. You just give them two plus hours, sometimes longer. Longer. Yeah. And uh, But that deer ran 120 yards and was dead as a hammer. It bled very little, though, because it was a broadside shot, and we were hunting these little post oak trees in southeast Oklahoma, and uh, so we couldn't get up very high. And uh, the deer was slightly kind of up a little bit of a grade, so I was almost shooting like straight at it. And so the area went in, the entry and exit were at the same level. Oh, and so huh. by the time he filled up with blood, that it just didn't bleed much. That's how it stuck in that tree almost flat. That photo that you put on, I guess, Facebook, and there's your arrows sticking in the tree. What was that? Negative. Okay. I was just holding just, the arrow. You just shot a tree? <laughs> I, the arrow was just not to teach it, to teach the it a arrow lesson. was not sticking in the tree. The tree looked at you I wrong. just held the arrow out. I was just holding the arrow. You may want to look at that again. no oh my goodness was it was it trailing was it feeding was it what was it doing it was okay so i'll tell you the whole I'll, i'll tell you the whole story it was a pinch point on the back of a big field corner where the deer come through they they were they were they were coming through the back side of that corner and they were feeding i mean it's just it's just the way we hunt down here is that the only buck that you saw there was there was one other eight point buck that I would have shot. It's it's too long a story and you'll hear it in the video when when we play the hunt, but I spooked a buck that was tending a doe when we came in there at like two o'clock in the afternoon. So anyway, it was a good hunt. There were multiple deer killed. Uh I think I can say this. Between the four of us there were five bucks killed in seven days. Oh nice. Yeah. So it'd be a lot of action. You know, if I'm listening to this, I, I want to know what kind of bow you were shooting, what kind of arrow, what kind of broadhead. Were you in a saddle? Were you in a, you know, what were you hunting out of? Uh, yeah. I, I'd like to know that. Okay. Uh, even well, though I know most of it, you were in a well, hunting out I of was, saddle. Well, I was in a, a new tethered saddle. We we hunted in those things all week long. I mean, I, we, we made multiple all-day sits in a tethered saddle. Now, uh, Forgive me, I've not moved into the saddle realm yet. Are all saddles tethered, or is there tethered a is a brand? Okay, there there are multiple brands of saddles. Tethered is a brand, and 
they, as I understand it, were kind of they were kind of the like main the gold player, stand, the leader, and the they were kind of the leader that kind of reintroduced saddle hunting to the world. Saddle hunting used to, I mean, people have saddle hunted for a long time, but used to it was kind of this, it was it was just kind of like this quirky thing that you know your weird neighbor did. Does and it not now, limit your ability to shoot a bow? It makes it better. Really? It, I think it does. I mean, just you, you have more radius around that tree. You can almost shoot, if it was just a perfectly straight tree, uh-huh. you could you could pretty much shoot 360 degrees around that tree. Probably 340. There's probably a little window, but you can spin all the way around the tree, and you just have to get comfortable kind of hanging off of it. But it, it I mean, I, I just put on a saddle and went hunting and was fine. It's not like you have to practice a ton, but... It, you do have to get used to it. You have to get used to kind of hanging and just how it works and getting making it comfortable. And you're not scooting up like you are in a climber. Like how are you getting up there? Yeah, with so you got to use you got to use sticks or okay. you have to have a method of getting up a tree. Right. So you still have to get up a tree. That what it does is it eliminates you having to have multiple tree stands and it eliminates you having to go in and hang a stand like the day before or you know you carrying in something real heavy. You carry a saddle and some sticks, but it's, you know, it sounds magical, but it, you know, you st- it's hard to climb a tree no matter what you're doing. Yep. Humans weren't made to climb trees very good. It's hard to climb a tree. Depends on the human. You're pretty wiry, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know why. He has special that. gloves. <laughs> special gloves. I mean, 12 year old me thought I was pretty well suited for it. I did it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a, like a traditional safety harness on as well? Nope. or? That's your safety harness. Gotcha. You can't you can't come out of it, you know. Yeah. I don't know. The older I get, the more nervous I get. Uh, I want to be oh, yeah. up high. Uh, I love being up high. I get yeah. nervous when I'm up there. Yeah. I like being up high, but inevitably, inevitably, when I get 20 feet up in a tree, I'm going to drop something. You drop it. And then I've got to go back down. And then i got to <laughs> go back up. So 16 feet. 16. 16 feet is the sweet spot. 16. Diminishing yeah. returns after that. How high do you like to get? <laughs> you know, twenty feet. And and you know, when I was younger, I loved to hunt at twenty four. You know, I think that if you do if you do twenty to twenty four, and you do a little bit of scent control, you can get away with lots of stuff. When you get down fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, I mean, you got to be playing the wind all the time. You got to be real cautious. You get twenty, twenty four. You don't even have to turn the volume down on your YouTube videos. Twenty four. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's been my experience. Yeah. And this guy that we've talked about that has killed so many big bucks in another state. I mean, he likes to hunt at thirty feet. I, I didn't have 30. the guts that's to get there, the thirty. John Eberhard, who you talking? About. Yeah. Right. Ooh, yeah. 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 I mean, thirty thirty feet. You know, he loves to talk about scent lock and how good it is. Well, it's you. You can at thirty feet. And he can matter. eat a pizza. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I, I love this guy. He hunts kind of the way I hunt, except he's successful and I'm not. <laughs> it it right. might be worth it just to take a cup of coffee up there with you. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, when he tells me up. what he does, I mean, it's a, lot, it's a lot of stuff I do. And he likes to hunt food like I like to hunt. And he's better at bedding areas. He's really good. That's that's the real key to seems to be right now uh, is to learn how to get in bedding areas and the edge of bedding areas. And I've never been too good at that. Well, this part of the world that we live in is so thick. There's bedding could be everywhere. A lot of the places these guys are hunting is just so different than here. 
Yeah. I mean, it's agricultural fields, big open timber, and yeah. then the thickets or the CRP yeah. is very defined, and it's like the deer bed here, they feed here, and that is just not the way it is in the Ozark and Washita Mountains yeah. at yeah. all. Yeah. It's just not. So. But you're shooting a prime bow. Yeah, shooting a prime a prime what Nexus kind of six. I'm shooting uh, G5 dead meat broadheads. I like them. They fly good. It's an expandable head. I, I used to, oh. for for oh, years. I was yeah. fixed blade, hardcore. Like this year, I started shooting those, and and they shoot good. You told me 15 years ago to only use expandable. That heads. he that was I remember he was that was back in the day and then he went all yeah. fixed blade. See when I met Clay and started hunting with him, he was all fixed blade. So he talked me out of expandables, and now he's gone back to expandables. The seasons like of politics. It's like bell bottoms. It's like the rings on a tree. Why you don't know we go how through, long you've known Clay by whether like or not it was. Why don't we go through all the places where I've flip flopped in my <laughs> life, <laughs> according to all you guys' eyes? No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, my buddy how Chris. Time you my got? buddy Chris Roberts. When he first started hunting with me, Dad, I was hardcore, scent control, you know, keep your clothes in plastic bags, use baking soda, use, you know, That's take a shower before. Hunt, I know, I know, you know, not don't put on your clothes in your truck. I mean, hardcore. That is still I can't what I do. Tell you, you do not do that anymore. How many times I rode <laughs> oh, in you don't. I, I did that we, this morning. We don't want to have this conversation. I rode in Gary Newcomb's Jeep for years in my underwear to the stand. <laughs> <laughs> that was just, that was just, just a practical joke, just, though. That was what he wanted us no. to do in yeah. his Jeep. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I believe Josh. It. Well, oh, I, I really, I don't know if this is the, place, the platform for this debate, but... I basically going back to what or what I said about dad, like he dad was just methodical with everything he did, and that's the reason he was good a good bow hunter. Was he's still here? <laughs> he's still with us. When Gary was around, just how much have you written off in this liberation? Well, I uh, no, about 12, 13, 15 years ago, about the time Dan mm-hmm. you didn't hunt and were off away. I uh, I I just scratched all scent control, <laughs> all scent control, and went s- straight up woodsman, Josh Spillmaker. And uh, turns out I kill more deer now than I did then. I don't I don't know if it's a spurious correlation, meaning a correlation that's really not connected. Maybe I've gotten better places to hunt. Maybe I've got just luckier. because Malachi is not here doesn't no. mean we don't know what a correlation is, Clay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, no. when you say you went woodsman, tell uh, us. It just, it just, just, just hunting the wind. Like, if there's a south wind, you hunt in a place where the deer are going to be north of you. It's just that simple. If there's a north wind, you hunt in a place where the deer are going to be south of you. And you just play the wind. Because what, what I found was I would, I would do my scent control to the, to the highest level that I was possible, that was possible for me and my skill set to do. And I'd go hunting and deer would still smell me. So I was like, why am I devoting my whole life to this? And now, Dad, you tell them why you do it, though. Because there's a good argument for using scent control stuff. I like to say that it's a hoax. (laughs) And it is the biggest way for outdoor companies to sell you a product that you have no way of knowing if it works or not. Because you can't smell that good with your nose. It's a perfect, it's a good business to be in. Hmm. Wow. Bold statement. I mean, it's just true. We I mean, to. it's like, I'm going to sell you a product and you don't know if it works or not. And most of the time it doesn't because you're in scent control and deer still smell you. But we Do you know, see what I'm saying? You know, baking soda works. And you know, if you wash your clothes in laundry detergent, I mean, you know, you're putting all kinds of, okay. so, you know, 
I've, I've got some soap that's unscented, and it smells less scented than my scented soap. Okay, Say let me that tell you five something. Fast. I will. You're you're worried about your clothes. You, the deer. I'm worried s- about your soul. Is what I'm worried about. <laughs> <laughs> Since when do you not care about sin? <laughs> Listen. I don't uh, even know who you are. I don't, anymore. I don't know who you are. I'm listen, out. I listen can't to this. do this. Listen anymore. to this. Listen to this. A deer isn't scared of your shirt. A deer <laughs> should be. is scared of you, and you smell like a human. So it, it would essentially be like putting. So you're a, trying to wash the human off of you. It, it would be essentially like taking a burlap sack and filling it full of cow dung, and then being worried about the burlap sack, like scent control on the burlap sack. It's like. You're not that burlap sack is not going to scare. He's saying you smell like cow. Yeah. You know what? Hear me out. Okay, okay, Tom. What if? What if instead of trying to wash the scent off, I just go like a full-on fourteen-year-old boy and just blast myself with Axe body spray? Yeah. You can't smell the human for all the Axe body spray. Okay, that's a, a, like a. This is cover scent. Is that, yeah, yeah, cover scent instead this, of this is a no cover scent. scent. We go cover scent. Chocolate axe. Now I do, <laughs> I do believe in some cover scents. I've seen some cover scents that worked pretty good, or, or, or confused or, or slowed deer's spook response down. To this day, every yeah. hunt this week, I I tried out some new stuff. This uh, Dan Fitzgerald deer dander, and I would I would pour it out on the ground underneath my stand so that when deer cut my wind. They would smell human, but they would also smell an attractant, a deer-related attractant. It's synthetic stuff. And uh, I have seen that slow a deer's spook response down enough, and I've seen them walk through it, too. Not necessarily with the, this stuff. I didn't see it happen this week. I had pl- I had so you couple- haven't seen it. Okay, so... I've seen it work with uh, doe estrus back when we could use real doe estrus. And even the synthetic stuff, I've had a doe come directly downwind i had poured a big swab of doe estrus onto the ground so my that doe scent strong unnaturally strong doe scents on the ground a deer cuts my wind the doe just locks up and just goes into holy cow what's happening i smell a human but then she's like and i smell a deer and kind of freaks out for a while and then moves on through past your scent i've seen it happen not common most of the time they spook Gary, what do yeah, you think about? Hey, I want to hear about? your rebuttal. I, that's I, the whole thing I've been wanting to hear. I, I, I'm not. What I'm saying is not the whole truth. I know that. We but, know that. Let's hear the. So rebuttal. why would you use scent control? Tell me well, when it would work. If you're a terrible hunter, <laughs> is a reason. I, I'm being honest with you. I mean, when I first started hunting, I, I really didn't even hardly know what a deer track looked like. Mm-hmm. You know, I just knew some guys told me about it, taught me how to shoot a bow. They couldn't kill deer. So I looked at it like a chess game. I thought, this is going to be like a chess game. And I thought, you know, I've got to be clean. I've got to be able to shoot my bow. But as time went on, I saw very few deer that I spooked. I mean, I cannot. I had a big 10-point that I knew where my wind was going. And he came under my stand. And by the way, I was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was sound asleep, and I looked. Open one eye about every five minutes. I looked at it, and so I knew he was going straight into my wind. I mean, so I'm not a stupid about wind and about yeah. scent, and I knew he was gonna he was gonna spook in a minute because I'd had a doe come in and hit my wind, and I was only about eighteen feet up. But anyway, if you're twenty to twenty four feet and you're in pretty flat ground, you can get away with lots of stuff. And usually when you're hunting big bucks, you don't know which way they're coming from. I mean, you think you know. 
Right. But they'll surprise you. So why not be clean if you've got the energy and the time yeah. and the desire to do it? Maybe it'll work. It, well, it, it, wor- it will help. And if you listen to John, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he says if you're wearing a beard, you got long hair, forget it. Yep. Go hunt however you want to because yep. it don't work. I would love to debate that guy. Hey, hey, th- no, don't even say that, Clay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this guy's killed. This guy is one of the best hunters in the stinking country. And I mean, if you hunt thirty I, feet up, well, I mean, hey. You'd be taking on the wrong bulldog with this guy. <laughs> I'm telling you, he, he knows his stuff. Now you, you yeah. know you don't have to. You don't have to do all this stuff, but it sure doesn't hurt anything, and a lot of times it helps. It's just, yeah. it's just part of my bailiwick. And, yeah, and you yeah. know, I mean, you can do, you can go at it. So many, there's so many ways to skin a cat. Well, you know? it, my my deal was I realized that I was spent. You know, you only have so much energy in your life you to go. spend towards hunting. And I was spending 30% of my energy towards scent control, and it wasn't the limiting factor of my hunting. So I, I became a better hunter in, all, in other places and spent less money, more time. Yeah. So, I mean, if in a perfect world, you would utilize some level of scent control, and perhaps it would reduce your human odor. You, you know, if you study carbon and what it'll do, it, you almost know it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in Carbon's everything. Carbon's amazing. It, 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 you know, it really it's just is. activated carbon. It's just, just crazy good. Yeah. So if you understand what it's doing and you understand how to activate it <laughs> and you got yourself covered, but you don't cover your head. Well, I mean, they're going to smell you. Yeah. So you cover your head. Then you go, well, is your face covered? So I don't go to that extreme. I don't cover my face, but it, there's so many different ways to do it. And Me who and Dad knows, love talking about this. So, you know, who knows which is best. Gary, you're saying... No, no beard, no hair. No beard, no hair, and cover your entire body and wear rubber boots. And it, it if you got the energy to do it, it doesn't. You know hurt. what? Well, what Mark, what Mark Kenyon will say a long time ago, and I've been and doing backtracked. It. And you're killing and deer, man. You're hey, tree in a ghillie suit. If, if, <laughs> what Mark Kenyon says, he says <laughs> it simply, and it's the same stink. thing. Dad says is that. If it might help you, if it might make a buck stay there for five seconds longer before he spooks, because there is an argument to be made, and I've yet to hear a single human give me a scientific reason that this is true, and I don't believe it, that a smaller amount of scent would spook a deer any more than a larger amount of scent, because that is the that is the thing that we're saying. We're saying you can't we're saying like if you use scent control products then you're reducing your human odor so, this, so a deer comes down wind and he still smells a human he just smells less human what's well, less volume it's a gas so it dissipates the the further out it gets and, the and more what, it's dissipated what clay newcomb says is that it don't matter if he smells a little human or a lot of human he's going to spook just the same about 90 percent of the time but, but you just made that number up number one <laughs> Number two, 90 percent of all statistics. Do you see what I'm saying, though? But I see what you're saying. But the more, the less there is, and the further it dissipates. Okay, there's a chance he might not smell nothing. Well, I'm going off. I'm going off. I want to say decades, probably 13 years of messing around with scent control, and I have used the ozone products. Okay, just begged them to work. I mean, I wanted ozone to work so bad. Because it was going to be my silver bullet. And it just, I have deer smell me all the time when I use ozone. 
It, it makes an odor. It, it creates its own odor, and it might not be a human odor, but a buck goes, wait a minute, I've never smelt that before, so I'm getting out of here. I mean, and, and I've I've heard that before. It definitely, you, you smell it when it's going. And, and I heard a real good bow hunter, a guy that I know that's killed 300 deer, white-tailed deer with a bow, who's killed multiple 200-inch deer. And you'd never know his name. He's not, he's not a public figure. And he told me that ozone was a joke. I mean, he's a stone-cold killer. You know, who, you know who I'm talking about. He hunted. I think so. And, uh, I mean, he, he, he's the one that he said, that stuff's a joke. That's it's, what he called it. it's because it puts and off then, an odor. And then I, I've tried it for several years. My point is, and I don't, I don't have any trouble. Uh, I mean, this is what I think. Like now, I still, you'll see me. I, I used Scent Shield this week. Sprayed down my clothes a little bit. Just, I call it witchcraft. <laughs> Because you're doing something that you know doesn't work. You got, is, oh, I can do a whole podcast soda, on is this. Is baking soda witchcraft? Baking soda, number one, is in the Bible. <laughs> so you're going to want to think about that. <laughs> I think witchcraft is too for what it's worth. <laughs> it's bad. Uh, you know, what Gary says about uh, activated charcoal is true. I have a friend who uh, has a propensity to make a pretty significant odor himself. Mm. Have you guys ever heard of the product? Subtle butt. <laughs> ne- negative. They are activated carbon sheets that go in your drawers. Wow. <laughs> we, 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 we talking furniture reduce, drawers or like... Not furniture my, drawers. On my person. Does it work? Under drawers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't hey, want to know. Hey, I, I love the sick control conversation. I, 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 I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to stir up trouble, but it bothers me that there's no way that we can prove it. I mean, I, 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 could, I, could do a whole, I could talk to you for an hour nonstop about all the reasons why commercial scent control products pretty much don't work. So anyway, I, I know I'm burning a, all these bridges. Straw man argument. But I, 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 would, don't, I, I would, don't care about the commercial ones. It's wash your clothes in baking soda. Use some of that soap that doesn't have a whole lot put of sin in it. It makes soda sense. in your beard. I dare you to put baking soda in my beard. <laughs> hey, let's talk about Borderlands Jaguars. Do they use a lot of set control? <laughs> you know what? I've, there's there is some theories on predators' ability to minimize scent. You know, in the animal kingdom, animals use scent for communication. So, like a buck in the rut, he he increases his odor so that his scent picture is bigger and yada yada. And uh, I've heard it said that the predators can kind of like turn down their scent. We know that a whitetail fawn and these fawns, when they're born, they're born like basically scentless, um, it, less odor, and their mother cleans them. Wait like, a minute. So less odor oh. equals advantage. Mm. <laughs> I just <laughs> disproved myself. <laughs> hey, go ahead and edit I'll, that 30 minutes here, out. Okay. Here's, here's what I would say. I would love for someone to convince me that I'm wrong. So please do. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, I, why is the burden on us? Let's just uh, say the. But I mean, it's uh, the re- reviews are going to go wild this yeah. week. Yes, yes. I would love for one someone star, with a scientific star. answer that had 30 years of experience that wasn't <laughs> drunk on 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 their own uh, co- spurious correlations. I was about to defend Clay. I don't know if I want to do it now, but, but I was going to say in like. In the defense of you, you're bringing that up. The reduction in scent is to uh, stave off predators, not to be a predator. So you're saying that the the fawns have less of a scent, so they are less 
uh, susceptible to predators or less detectable yeah, rather yeah, yeah. than you being the predator reducing your scent. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right, Dan. Reducing your scent is good. It's going to be good. One more flip-flop. I can't. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. People at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. To track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more.
Hey, Borderlands Jaguars. Dan, what do you think? I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I, I loved hearing more from Warner Glenn. I yes. think that was fantastic. I, I just think anytime you hear that guy, I, I think it was very interesting to hear just the whole idea of there being an animal out there that's basically called the one that eats us. Yeah. yeah. Psychologically, that, well, that doesn't <laughs> happen a whole lot to people. Yeah. And an animal. I mean, there's kind of these freak en- encounters, but there's an animal that's named that. Oh, that's a eater of us. Yeah. Eater of us. Pretty wild. I thought you were just being dramatic. I didn't realize until I listened to the podcast, but I saw that on the title of the, when it popped up on my phone and I thought, oh, that's a little melodramatic. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it, that, it's, it's what the, that tribe in Amazon, yeah. they called the Yaguaria. Mm-hmm. They called it eater of us. But in, in modern times, in at least in the United States, there's never I'm, I'm quite certain there's never been a documented Jaguar attack in the United States. But down in Central America and stuff, like it's it's for real. A lot of the American Jaguars are vegan. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, what do you think? Well, I I thought it was I thought it was really good. I I love hearing the, the science, but I you know, I'm kinda of with Dan too. I I love hearing Warner Glenn that guys like that are are disappearing. And mm-hmm. to uh, hear stories about, I, that's what the thing that I like about him is the pursuit that he has of, of the thing that he does with, with, uh, for, for the mountain lions and, and, you know, finding the jaguar and stuff. But to really draw in family, to, to talk about bringing people together, just the, you can tell the passion and the care and the concern that he has for the animal, the way, just the way that he talked about it with such mm-hmm. reverence. He's not a, He's not a doesn't have a bloodlust for animals. He really has yeah. a passion for these animals and you know conservation and 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 awareness. Even even the way that he he's like I didn't know if I should go public with this. Yeah, you know, just shows an incredible respect for the people around him, for the animal itself, for conservation. And it was it was very very interesting to listen to. I, I really enjoyed it. I wanna I wanna clarify something. I, so I put this picture. So in Warner Glenn's house. He has this huge, probably, I bet it's six foot long, five foot tall, at original painting that a really good artist did of the picture that he took of the Jaguar. So the Jaguar is in the pose that he saw the Jaguar, but the artist, you know, put a little Warner Glenn down in the corner riding his mule. Oh, really? Yeah. If you that. see that, there's Warner Glenn down there with a dog. And, um, um, I had so I made a Instagram post and said Warner Glenn documented the first live jaguar in the United States. And people several people were like, uh no he didn't. There were so many killed in Arizona and so many killed in Texas and people were like, you may want to go back and read that. And I was like, okay, listen to what was said. He documented the first live one. So if someone shows up with a dead one in the back of his truck, that is not a documentation of a live jaguar. That is a dead jaguar. It was the first documentation of a live jaguar in the United States, meaning he took a photo, went back and showed the photo to people, and that animal was still alive. So that's all it was. But they didn't, they hadn't documented one in... What's the lifespan of a jaguar? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. Probably, probably about like a... 20 years, maybe? Black bear. I doubt oh. they live 20 years in the wild. Probably like a cat. They, I mean, like a interesting, like a tomcat. Uh, you know, live twelve years or something. Just twelve this, to fifteen. This idea that there could be a animal people. like that that lives. I mean, a, a, a jaguar is a jungle animal. It's 
just such a wild thing. What what do you think of it, Dad? Oh, I thought it was very interesting. And uh, of course, Warner Glenn was interesting to listen to. And and you know, he wasn't satisfied with your comment that the first live jaguar that was seen he he broke it down further what did he say he said i, I can't remember really he, he correct but but yeah. he said it's alive it was wild it was wild in nature in other words you can see them in captivity you could see them dead the first you could live see them in wild jaguar yeah, so yeah. so he he wasn't happy with your simple alive jaguar he went into yeah, he said in the live wild, wild jaguar now, in the he United did States. two or three different breakdowns okay, on okay. it so i mean he he eliminated the zoo. He limit, you know. So I thought, you know, he's he's a detail guy. I mean, he's he's really paying attention to details. But what caught me about the whole thing was kind of surprising, really, as much interesting content as there was. But what stuck with me is the fringe animals. I mean, to me, that was just like Daniel Boone all over again. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got an animal that's that has been created this way, where where you got a bunch of little crazy guys out here. And their job is to go find the boundary of where we can survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never even heard, thought of that. I mean, that's crazy. And the way you brought it out, these were like the pine. What'd you use the word? Yeah, pioneers, the, the 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 frontiers, frontiers of the species. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I go, wow, that, that, that you, is pretty stinking cool. You think about, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Think about it. A jaguar, he has no concept that he is on the northern range of his species. He doesn't know that. In Brazil and in Bolivia and Venezuela is the core of his, like, if I went down there, there'd be a bunch of us there. This jaguar is just living his life. And he goes north into the United States. And there just comes a point when he's just like, I got to go back south. You, you know, and, and there, there might be some functional things that happen. Like he runs into cities, less game, more arid, you know, whatever the conditions. But But he has this... He has this metric inside of him that's default where there comes a point when he goes no further and he goes back. That's and, me just about every time I get to our in-laws, every time I get to my in-laws' house. It's like, nope. Got to go back. Go back south. <laughs> go back <laughs> south in Michigan. <laughs> well, well uh, Clay, it's, a, it's really a tremendous survival technique. It's like, you know, we can all live here in, in this tremendous jungle forest and just you know, be having a great life. But what happens if the forest is gone? So, right, right. I mean, I need to expand my territory where that we can survive regardless of what happens. Yeah. And so it's innate within some of those guys to be the frontiersman that's going to go out and, and find that fringe area, find out where the border is. And, and it's that's how they stay alive. That's how they have survived. Well, there, there have been jaguars documented as far north as the Grand Canyon. And... Hey, did you hear me call out you and Aunt Ollie? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, okay, I I got I got to say this in this book. So I wanted to talk about this book. I wasn't able to. I just couldn't fit it into the to the Bear Grease podcast. But there's a book called Borderlands Jaguars by David E. Brown and Carlos Lopez Gonzalez. Incredible book. Sometimes you pick up these smaller books like this, and you know you might be unimpressed with kind of the writing and the the structure of the book. This is like a top-notch, a top-shelf academic book. Most of the information that I got from the, for the podcast came from this book, Borderlands Jaguars. You mean Tigres de la Frontera. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That was that really was good. good. Where did you hear about Delhi from? 
is I mean, I've heard about Dale Lee for years. If you're in the hound community, uh-huh. you've heard of Dale Lee. I, I thought he was hands down my favorite part of this podcast. Oh, that man. storytelling. Dale and I Lee. was curious when it, when he started. I just thought, where on earth did Clay? Where does he find these people? Yeah. How did you hear about him? I bet I bet you liked him. Did, did you? Dad? Oh yeah, yeah. He was so Dale Lee was is considered you know one of the best line hunters of all time, and it's so hard to say. I told uh, <laughs> I told Steve Rinella the other day about Warner Glenn before I interviewed him, and I said Warner Glenn's one of the best dry ground line hunters in the world. And Steve said, "Why do dry ground line hunters get to?" why do they all of a sudden get like they're the best in the world <laughs> and I, I stopped and i was like you know there's like four of them <laughs> we say that all the time but dale lee is known as this great hunter but he was he was for sure known as the lead man in catching jaguars in mexico and i mean if you want to talk about some wild stuff talk about going to mexico with a pack of hounds and these custom boats did you hear him say we had these little canoes Actually, it's a flat-bottom boat with plywood and plastic glass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plexiglass. Yeah. He called it plastic glass. I loved it. He, he, he told it. I, I said it on the podcast, but he told a story, a hunting story, like he was calling a horse race. <laughs> yeah. We were coming down through there, and the dogs, and that little curved dog said, yippee, 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 yippee. And I knew that that jaguar was a coming. And then we went down through there, and there he was up in the tree. And the old Iowa farmer, he was, I mean, he, 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 his, his voice would ascend and then descend. He did not sound Texan. He sounded straight out of Arkansas. Yeah, yeah I thought the same. He's from Arkansas Arizona. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, what a guy. It, hey, there are 15 hours of tapes that you wow. can get of Dell Lee telling stories. Brett Vaughn, you can buy it from my buddy Brett Vaughn, 100, born 100 years too late is his Instagram handle. I mean, I, I have the tapes. Brett just sent me some, but I haven't listened to them all. That Jaguar call was something, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It sounded good. Yeah. Made it out of an empty melon and a gourd. A, a gourd. And yeah. what did he pull through? It? A piece of leather Man. with rosin, some kind of rosin on the leather. Ty, what? What's? Did anything stand out to you inside of it? Yeah, I definitely can relate to what everyone else has said. I also thought about just conceptually. There comes a point because we, you know, as the jaguar has kind of gone up and further away out of Mexico, you know, it's strong in the iconography of Mexico, but you don't see it at that borderline and you mentioned how it's like when you see something rare but it's not super rare there's a place for it in the iconography and it's yeah. like this like treasured moment you saw the thing yeah. that we don't get to see a lot of and then when it's super rare to your point it's just like somebody shows back up to the campfire and they're just like i saw a jaguar and it's like shut up <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about you ate some wild mushrooms you didn't see a jaguar and so it doesn't even cat. make it into the iconography yeah, and so that was really cool to tie that back even to the 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 Black Panther like storylines from all the way back with the the first Bear Grease and, and and so like just looking at at how wildlife and experiences are are like captured within cultural cultural things and then like there even comes a point where it 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 stops like it it becomes so rare that it just doesn't even get captured or isn't yeah. even considered. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's not even sacred. It's just not plausible. So why even you know, draw it somewhere there, or there, write it somewhere? There's a lot to be, there's a lot that's weighing on the fact that the, the tribes of the Southwestern United States don't have Jaguar iconography in their culture because there are groups of, there, 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 there's a group right now, and I don't know all the details of it, but they have talked about Jaguar, quote, reintroduction. 
there's a group that believes that there can be that that Southwest Arizona, Southeast Arizona, Southwest New Mexico could could hold 60 to 100 jaguars and they talked about releasing them into that area which would which would be wild and in the in the, the biologist and everybody that I know is saying like why would we do that they've never been here that much and that's what that's what Jim Heffelfinger was saying is he's and Jim Heffelfinger is a biologist and he's like there's just no evidence that they were ever here in great number and what Warner Glenn was saying was that if that happens, it just shuts down that part of the world for ranchers, for hunters, for people living off the land. And his point was well taken, and I liked it, and I wanted to put it in there. As he said, yeah, let's protect that cat. Put it on the endangered species list, which it has been for 40 years, 50 years, whatever. But he said that critical habitat regulation mm-hmm. locks stuff down so much it yep. de-incentivizes people from even wanting them there. He said, then people shoot, shovel, shoot, and shovel, shut up. shut up. Yeah, and, I remember and that phrase. It, it that. may sound normal to think, well, of course Warner Glenn didn't shoot that jaguar. It wasn't normal. I mean, people shoot jaguars. I mean, I, I don't have proof of that, but there's in Mexico, they for sure do to this day. I mean, that's the biggest threat to them down in Mexico is, like Jim said, people, these small-time cattle ranchers, it's their livelihood. Killing, killing jaguars. He call yeah. them, was it, I want to say what he call it, reciprocity killings or something like uh, that? There was a... He, retaliatory. 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 Yeah, and, like that, the, even that kind of colors the nature of it when you recognize, like, they're not killing it for sport, they're killing it for retaliation because it's coming yeah. on their livelihood, but then they're just like, no, we got to protect them. It's just, yeah, I, like I'm, there's a, there's definitely I'm a pretty sure that there. the Malpai Borderlands group, and I, I could be wrong on this, Alex, um, is... Uh, <laughs> there, are, there are groups. Inside, there yeah. are groups oh, that pay landowners if they lose livestock to jaguars. Mm. Like, mm. like, so it's like, okay, you lost a cow. Don't go kill a jaguar. Let me pay you for the cow. Yeah, the replacement cost for it. So that is a big part of kind of the creative conservation that's going on. But where does that funding come from? And um, you know, I, I I'm not a jaguar expert. I learned all this in the last two months. You know, I mean, so it's not like this is something. This is all new to me as well. But it's fascinating that we have a big cat in in North America that is like that. Did you notice that when you asked Jim if he had ever seen any documentation for a black panther, he did not directly answer the question. Mm. I noticed. You think he had? You think he did? Just, I mean, simple no. Hey, I, two, re- two I now letters. remember what I was going to say about this book. I'm kind of just going off memory here. In this book, there is a map of the United States, and it was made a long, long time ago. And it's shaded in places where jaguars were in the United States during this time. The entire state of Texas was, oh, I got to find it. Because it wasn't the entire state of Texas. But the jaguar distribution from this map, and, and biologists now would say that that map wasn't accurate. But back in those days, they believed it. And the jaguar distribution went up and almost touched Arkansas. Hmm. So if there was a melanistic jaguar, now, he could have almost been in Arkansas. Ollie in Alley. I mean, you can't argue with him, okay? They saw one. How long was its tail? How long did its tail sound? 
Well, it sounded like it was the length of their body. <laughs> well, what's funny is, had I not had I not heard that though, like I'm from Aransas Pass, oh, Texas. Oh, here it is, right oh. here. Look here. Okay, okay. Range of jaguar in North and Central America, 1923, with the aid of the U.S. Biological Survey. That jaguar range comes up all the way into southeast Oklahoma and touches the Red River in southwest Arkansas. I mean, read it and weep, Alex. <laughs> Did you ever send Alex a hat? We're bros. <laughs> I haven't. I don't have hats anymore. <laughs> That's the one. So there could okay. be. But Jim Heffelfinger says that there has never been a melanistic jaguar documented below deep, deep South Mexico. There's above a, deep South. Yeah, yeah. There's never been one above it. Right. So black jaguar, kind of a stretch. Okay. So Aransas Pass, Texas is where I grew up. And the high school mascot was the Panthers. It's really? Past Panthers. And the Panther was a black panther. All right. Oh, there you go. There you, it go. Was, uh, in, in, you know, a person in a black panther. Leave obviously. it to time. wasn't in the cage. But here's what's funny is in the most, like, remarkably South Texas thing ever, there was a seafood restaurant called the Big Fisherman. And mm. outside the Big Fisherman was whoever owned that place was basically like Tiger King from the 1980s. Because <laughs> there was... A ton of wild animals and big cats and everything. And had you asked me before you told me there weren't black panthers, I said, yeah, I saw one in a cage outside of the big fisherman waiting to go in and eat fried shrimp. But like, just because the iconography of it was still built into my head, my high school mascot was a black panther. There was black panthers there at the big fisherman. Like wow. all of this was just baked in. It's yeah. just like, this is, is what it was. Happens. And so now I'm just like, Buried in lies. I don't know what's the truth anymore. <laughs> and, and You're not going to find it here. I'll tell you <laughs> oh, wait. Hey, oh. You know what? It, uh, listen to these podcasts again. It rem reminded me of something that I had completely forgotten about. Circa 1986, This my mom worked with this guy. My mom worked for DuPont in Texas, in, in Clear, Clear Lake, Texas, I think. Baytown, mm -hmm. Texas. This guy, we lived in this town called Alvin, Texas, and this guy lived there. He and he was a big, he, like, kind of. He had he had like Clydesdales, and he had some some other interesting. And I think he had some alpacas and stuff. But he had a jaguar. Mm. He had a jaguar, and he had a conversion van, and he'd ride around with this <laughs> pet jaguar in a cage in the back of his van. I saw it with my own eyes did when you, I was a kid. Did you have to ride in your underwear? Not in no. He the cat didn't care what I smelled different, like. Different. How uh, how long and or curly was his mullet? Uh, he wasn't actually. He was kind of like kind of looked like Grizzly Adams. He was a he was kind of a cool guy. He he put his team of of uh, Clydesdales wow. together and he he'd ride his wagon with Clydesdales through town. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, he had a Jaguar. I remember going, he's, he said, you want to see my cat? And I, he took me. Oh, wow. This is not the kind uh, of guy yeah. you want to. How old were you? I was 10. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, he, he'd open up the back of his van and he had a cage, like a kind of like a dog kennel in there with a Jaguar in there. Impressive. <laughs> Impressive. Hey, okay. I think, I think it's time. I've been sitting on some original music for some time. <laughs> deep, deep in the bowels of your soul. Hey, okay, me and, me and Josh and Ty are going to play some music. Okay. I wrote a song. I, I want to publicly state this. It has Jaguars in it. I, I, I have no dreams of being a talented musician, okay? We like Good to play thing. music because it's just fun. I, I have seen some people that like, 
take music kind of serious and maybe they're not very good and you're like so that's not me okay <laughs> I, I realize i'm not very not good okay but i do i do like music and i enjoy playing it i wrote a serious song about warner glenn and I, I, do, I what do you mean by serious i mean like all the other songs that like we've written oh, like captain. like oh captain oh captain yeah. and the bulldozer song mm-hmm. Like they were parodies, they were jokes. The it was funny. Song was, but the Captain song was great. It was great. Yeah. It was. Well, it, it was great. those were those were joke songs, and so there's a, joke a, there, me, there's a Glenn. line that you cross <laughs> there, yeah. when you start writing serious songs. He's that, essentially saying all this for me. I I you know Clay is just about an inch away. When he started writing a serious song, I was concerned that maybe I had a YouTube diva. On my in my house, I've been and concerned got, about that for yeah. years. <laughs> and I got super nervous. That's I was like, all my Wait, fault, Misty. We're I'm gonna sorry. start doing this, <laughs> but this is that's not what he's doing here. So, I wrote a song. It's called "The Ballad of Warner Glenn." Okay, and I, I didn't. I don't feel like I had a choice to write this song. I really was impacted by meeting <laughs> Warner Glenn, and I sat down and wrote this song in like a very short amount of time. And uh, Ty is going to play the stand-up bass, and Josh is going to help me on guitar, and we're going to sing the song. Dan, you ready to hear it? Let's do it. I'm ready. They're going to just stare at Dan while they sing it. Well, Dan's the only one that hadn't heard it. Dad's heard it a little bit, but uh, yeah, we're going to do it. I can get out the cowbell if y'all want me to. (laughs) Way down south on the border of Mexico. Rattlesnakes, lots of banditos where the cactus grow Dirt and spurs, feed the hounds and let them go As a boy, Marvin taught him where the big toms rode Open country where the jaguar strolls Saddle a 16-hand mule when the desert sun glows Nobody ever told him this wretched life was a hard road to hold Hiding the rising sun behind the Chiricahua's folds He's mounted and moving and going for an all-day muleback stroll Open country where the jaguar strolls Line track in the dirt, seven miles into where did he go? Got a pack of white walker dogs that are philosophers like the road. Hounds work the dirt like a farmer works his rows. Up the canyon, round the rock, chasing the ghost of a shadow. Open country where the jaguar strolls. The only catch him. If he crosses the plateau Chase him over the rim rock An old hook bays him in a hole It's not a line he seeks But a wildness he can't control Who I'm talking about is Warner Glenn and the Black Crow Open country where the jaguar strolls Open country and sage Make the old man's heart grow A poet in a saddle But his words don't overflow He fought a lawman And pleaded guilty just so you know Sweat some bullets and sleepless nights 
but they let him go. Open country where the jaguar strolls. A lesser man would have thrown another blow. But Warner knew to solve his problems he had to grow. Invited his enemies to the table and their faces glowed. Broke some bread, all were fed. And the rooster crowed. Open country where the jaguar strolls. Hey, man. That's excellent. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Open country. Hey, I want to read these lyrics because... If you if you follow along on these three podcasts, it makes it, it, this is a, this is a story. It's a story of a lion hunt, the the way down south on the border of Mexico. I mean, Warner Glenn literally lives on the Mexican border. Rattlesnakes, lots of banditos where the cactus grow. He gets he gets horses snake bit and dogs snake bit. When I was down there with him for a day, he was like, "Watch out for rattlesnakes." Dirt and spurs feed the hounds and let them go. I mean, the man's life revolves around his dogs. And I noted when he rode his mule just on an average day, like when I rode with him, he put on his spurs, which I don't always wear my spurs, but he put on his spurs. So dirt and spurs, feed the hounds and let him go. And as a boy, Marvin taught him where the big toms rove. Marvin is his dad. And Marvin, they, he hunts the same ground his dad did. Hmm. I mean, he, he the exact same ground. Um, and then open country where the jaguars stroll. That's the that's the chorus. Open country is the phrase that they use. Like when I went down there, I heard multiple people say open country. And then I tuned in. I was like, ah, that's what you guys say. That that means something. Their book's called Open Country. Warner says it all the time. Open country where the jaguars stroll. It defines that landscape, This this visitor from the south. Saddle a 16-hand mule when the desert sun glows. So that means early in the morning. Nobody ever told him this wretched life was a hard road to hoe. Man, I tell you what, when I think of a guy like Warner Glenn hunting as long as he has, I think about the, I said it on the podcast, but I think about the number of times he hooked up his trailer in the dark, woke up at two, literally 2 a.m. to go feed his mules, load his dogs, drive two hours, get the mules out, and then be where he needs to go by sunrise to look for a track. Hiding the rising sun behind the Chiricahua's folds, Warner is one of these guys that wakes up like early every single day. Chiricahua's is the mountains that they live in and hunt. So hiding the rising sun behind the Chiricahua's fold, he's mounted and moving and going for an all-day muleback stroll. Line tracking the dirt seven miles in, but where did he go? They they ride a tremendous amount, you know, when they're riding these on these hunts. And this is my favorite line. He's got a pack of white walker dogs that are philosophers like Thoreau. Hounds work the dirt like a farmer works his rose up a canyon around the rock, chasing the ghost of a shadow. I, I liked that line a lot. Hounds work the dirt like a farmer works his rose. Yeah. They only catch him if he crosses the plateau, chase him over the rim rock, and old Hook bays him in a hole. Hook is his favorite dog, the 12-year-old dog, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not a line he seeks, but a wildness he can't control. I, I think that's true. I mean, like, when I, when I think of the things that I'm after, like a big buck in a mountain— I mean, like, I, I want antlers, I want meat, but really what I want to do is interact with a wild place. Mm -hmm. That's really what yeah. you're after, you know, and, and, and a hunter being able to interact with a wild place by taking something from it is, like, super human and super intimate. Um, so, 
It's not a lion he seeks, but a wildness he can't control. Who I'm talking about is Warner Glenn, the Black Crow. Warner What's the Black Crow? Where's yeah, the Black well, Crow talking okay, about? Okay. Okay. Let me off start there. that over. Who I'm talking about is Warner Glenn and the Black Crow. I'm just saying Warner Glenn is like, he's like part of the landscape, like a Black Crow. Just is. like a Black Crow. Okay, that's right. I got, I'm, Open I country and sage makes the old man's heart grow. A poet in a saddle, but his words don't That was my life. other favorite line. Yeah. Poet you can just have one but his I, favorite line. <laughs> he fought a lawman and pleaded guilty, just so you know. Sweat some bullets and sleepless nights, but they let him go. What good cowboy story doesn't have a little squabble? It's a part. Law? It's a. It's about a quarter country song, as yeah. it should be. A lesser man would have thrown another blow, but Warner knew to solve his problems, he had to grow. Invited his enemies to the table, and their faces glowed. Broke some bread, all were fed, and the rooster crowed. I like that last that last uh, chorus verse. Well, we're uh, yeah, we're done with the Warner Glenn series. So, thanks, Warner Glenn. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Nice really good. Really mm-hmm. good. I hope he lives a lot longer. He yeah. talked about, I remember him talking about this might be our last season, him and his, his old dog. Hood. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have my doubts. He's got a lot of life left in him, I can tell you that. Closing thoughts, Dan? Bet Warner Glenn's pretty concerned about scent control. <laughs> uh, <laughs> covers the dogs in baking soda. <laughs> Uh, Ty, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, you bet. I was glad to do it. I I've enjoyed the series on Warner Glenn for sure. He's he's a he's the kind of person that hearing about their life like just kind of sparks sparks in you a desire to get out there and do it more and not get kind of caught up. You know, I'm uh, I hunt and everything, but I'm on a computer ninety percent of my almost you know all my working day and everything and. There's there's something in you that's not fulfilled, and so to hear about people who make their living that kind of way, it's just like you know that's that may not be for me, but it definitely drives me to want to make sure that I'm staying in, in touch with the things that that are uh, tied to that, so that I'm not just yeah. kind of getting caught up in yeah. computers and college football and such nonsense. I hear you, Dad. Thoughts? Oh, it's just awesome. You know, great guy, legend, and a a neat animal. Love the animal, the big head, the strong jaw mm-hmm. that can bend a what a half Quar- inch. Quarter I believe it's a half inch, yeah. half yeah. inch, half yeah. inch steel. I'm yeah. going like, uh huh. Likes to eat us, huh? Yeah, very interesting, very very informative. Good yeah. Okay. Hey, the next Bear Grease podcast are going to be really cool. More coming. I'm not going to tell you what it is though. Hey, thanks but for listening. If you guys want to call me, I'll tell you. Yeah, Josh. Josh was there. Keep the wild places wild. Hey, we miss Brent. Oh yeah, Brent, come back to us. Yeah, Brent. I forgot to say Brent wasn't here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Warner Glenn's daughter was extremely interesting. Yeah, yeah. Enjoyed that a lot too. Yeah, Kelly. Yeah, for sure. All right, thank you guys. Scent control or no scent control? Love you all. You stink. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths 
so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.